Well, good afternoon. This is going to be the uh, second uh, in why study the Bible and keys to study in the Bible. So it is kind of extenuation from last week. Um, I have six solid reasons why you should read the Bible. Number one, which is probably for me and all of us should be the most important reason why we read and study the Bible. That is, the first most important is we really, really, really want to study the Bible. You really want to know what God wants from you. You know, I, I thought of, I had other things down here and this morning taking a shower. I was thinking, there's a, a good reason that we want to know what God wants from us, what Christ wants from us. When a man decides to marry a girl, he wants to know what she's like, what she wants to do. And the same thing holds true with the girl. She wants to know what her husband's thinking. What does he expect from her? Is he, is he going to treat her right? Is she going to have a lot of good things? For him, or you know, it's, so it's a very important thing. If you're going to be married to someone, you really want to know everything about them. You want to know what God is thinking, what He wants as for His children, and as a child, a potential child in the family of God, you want to know what God expects from you. And the only way you're going to know those things is to go to that person or persons, and see what they are, and see what they expect from you and what you expect from them. So that makes it the most important reason. You're going to be married to Christ. You're going to become the Father's children. You really want to know what God wants from you. So that should be one of the greatest reasons that you want to find out, that you're going to go and dig it out. And the only place you get that is from the Bible. In Matthew 13, uh, verse 44, it gives you an idea. And here it's talking, Christ was talking, giving parables. In this parable, in Matthew 13, 44, says, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure that's hid in the field, which when a man found it, he hid, and for joy thereof goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. So that should be an indication to us. It's so important to you, to me, to people, to the church, is to find out that this treasure that is hid is much more valuable than anything on this earth. And so we should be ready just to put everything we have into it. We ought to go after that and sell whatever it takes Get rid of all the things that pull us away from God. So the first point, then, in wanting to study the Bible is that you want to be a part of God's family. And you want to be so much a part because it's so important, it's so valuable that you will put up everything, you put out everything, you give away everything just to be a part of that. The second point, then, for wine to study the Bible, is to guard you against 
false teachings. There's a lot of that out there. There's a lot of false teachings in a lot of places. So you want to be able to find false teachers. You want you want to be tricked, uh, tricked or pulled aside. You know, look at Eve. What happened to her? She got a false teaching. She listened to Satan and she lost everything. They had a beautiful garden. They didn't have to do anything. It was everything was there, taken care of. Temperature was right. Family life was good. But they were willing to listen to the false teachings. Second Peter, chapter two, verses one and two. But there were false prophets also among the people when they came out of Egypt. They started the God started the, uh, the family of Israel. There were false prophets. He said that happened at that time. Even so, there shall be false teachers among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the eternal that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Think about that. You don't want to be caught in the wrong path. You don't want to be swayed the wrong direction. And the false teachers are out there. And they will lead you in the wrong direction. So then, the third point for why you want to study the Bible. It will increase your level of discernment. You will be able to judge rightly. You'll be able to see the right areas in second, uh, First Peter three, verses one, verse one, says, "Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wife." So, discernment, discerning the right things—that's a job that we have to do. Verse two: While behold your Chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adornment is not, uh, it not be of the outward adorning of the plaiting of the hair and wearing of gold and silver, but putting on the apparel of wisdom and righteousness. So, the third point is, you have to, you are able to discern the right things. Because you're reading the scriptures so you can discern whether you're going to be swayed the wrong direction. The fourth point is, it is able to make you wise to salvation. So we know we're going to go and have offered to us eternal life and be a part of the family of God to be married to Christ. So it's going to help you reach that position of the ability to obtain salvation because you will become wise under the scriptures of God. The fifth point, then, is it keeps you from wrongly dividing the word of truth. It's easy. I mean, I remember Herbert Armstrong said when when I was first coming into the church, first coming to the knowledge of God, he talked about a fellow that didn't like... uh, the way people wore their hair. So he twisted the scriptures. So they wrongly divided the, the word. And he said he didn't like the way, because this is back in the 30s, 
and he didn't like the women wearing their hair in a bun, so he said, "Take." He took a part of the scripture and said, "Top not come down." So the scripture says, "If you're on the housetop, don't come down into the house to take anything out with you when you flee." So he just dropped part of that, twisted it around, and said, "I don't like hairs up in you know knots, buns as it was." And so he twisted it and said, "Top not come down." So he used his whole sermon to chastise the women. Uh, that's wrongfully dividing the word of truth. You're putting it in the wrong direction. Second Timothy 2.15 shows us. It says, study to show yourself approved unto God. So we, we want to do it because we want to be approved of God in His way. A workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So you, you don't have to have everything. God did not write the scriptures uh, with one chapter on how to dress, one chapter on how to have baptism, one chapter on... Oh, he puts it here, there, in pieces. So, the fifth one is, you learn by studying the scriptures, you learn how to put them together. Point six, then, it will bless you when its principles are kept and applied in your life. So if we read the scriptures, we study the scriptures, and then we apply them to the way we live our life, then we will be blessed. God promises that. In Matthew twenty-five thirty-four, it says, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand. So there's going to be people on the right hand and people on the left. We, we know that in uh, Matthew 25, it says the ten virgins, five of them were wise and five were foolish. So, he blesses the wise. He blesses those that do it his way. Come and, uh, and he said, come and bless to my father, inherit the kingdom of God. So, are we going to be blessed if we do it the right way? God promises us the opportunity to be a part of his family. So, yes, if we read the scriptures, we study them, we apply them to our life, then we will be blessed. We will be a part of the family of God. Okay. What then is the best way to study it? If if all this, these five points help us to know who God is, Christ is, uh, what we are to do and how we are to do it, what's the best way to do it? Is, is there good ways or bad ways? Okay. There's a, I've got a few quick points here. Number one. You need a Bible. So one of the best ways to uh, study is to have a Bible that you can read. A Bible that you can understand. I mean, you wouldn't want to take and get a Bible written in the um, Hebrew language because most of us don't understand Hebrew. It's pretty difficult. I mean, I looked at some of the I can't even pronounce the letters, you know, much less what they say. But you you need a Bible that you can read and understand. It's written in a language and a way that you can understand. And there's a lot of Bibles out there. There's a lot of different Bibles. You know, last two weeks ago, I think it was, uh, Daryl spoke about having a Bible that had 26 translations in it. 
most of those trans I've had one of them myself. And most of the 26 translations are translated uh, in a way that you can read it in the English language. So it's, it's important then that you have a Bible that you can read that will be understandable to you. So that is the first point. Number two, and this is a very important point, you need to read it. Because what good is it to have a book if you don't read it? When I studied electronics, I read a book, about five or six books, on electronics. And as I was going to school, I was told the same thing. You want to know what you're learning? You have to read the book. So it's important that if you're going to study the Bible, you've got to read the Bible. And it takes time to do that. Number three, let's see, number two, yeah, read the Bible. Make sure that in, when you read it, make sure, make sure that you pick a time and actually open the Bible and read the Bible. Take the time. It's easy to, after years and years, and I've been around for a long time and I know how easy it is to be swayed. You want to read, but things come around and, and pull you back so you don't really get the chance. You really don't take the time. So you have to say, I want to read it. Okay, I'm going to take the time. And you set that time up. Set it up and say, this is the time to read the Bible. Number three, you need a place. So you're going to read the Bible. And you had time set up. Now you need a place to read it. I know as I looked at my my kids, well, I never let them watch TV during study time. They had a time to study and a time for play and a time for watching TV. So if you're going to have a time, make sure that it is a, a place where you have you know, the things there, everything that you're going to need. You know, not only the Bible, the pencil, paper, all those things are important. So you need a you need a place, and you need to make it where you're not distracted. So if you're going to study the Bible, those are key points. You don't want to be distracted. You want to be distracted by other people. You want to be distracted by Outside interference, you you set up the time. Uh, anybody that's doing doing sermons or sermonettes or teaching in any field, you take a time to study. You know how much time you've got. You know what it takes. You know your capabilities, and you can't. And like I said with my kids, when it came to study time, and today I see they. They try to keep the TV on and study. It's too much distraction. They say they're studying, but if, if something comes up in the study that keys their mind to someplace else, they're not really getting any quality studying in. So you have to have a place, and it has to be a place that is isolated enough that you can actually put your heart into it and ask God for help. 
Number three, another very important thing, is you've got to be consistent. You have to be consistent. I know what I put down here, uh, I can't tell you that you have to do it every day, five times a day, or four times a day, or once a day, or every day. I can't, I can, I know that that's important. Especially when you're trying to become the bride of Christ, it's important that you do it every day, consistently. If you set a time, it has to be consistently. You have to choose that time that you're always going to be able to go there. Because sometimes things will come in the way. And it's easy to not continue doing that. So I put down here, so you try to do it two or three times a week. That'd be okay, I guess. But for me, it has to be every day. And it has to be a set time. So I have to choose a time, and mostly for me, it's been 6 to 10 o'clock at night, because I'm pretty much by myself, and I can pretty much focus on what I'm reading. And I read the Bible, and I, get, and I search the Scriptures. So I do that every day. Sometimes I don't get that done. You're right. Because I'm human. And there are other things that sidetrack you. Sometimes, uh, like this past week, I was called at about 4 o'clock at night and the guy didn't have any water. So, so you have to be able to make adjustments too. But you've got to be consistent in doing your, your you can't let every day and every day and every day keep you from studying the Bible. So, that is a very important part. You want to know God. You want to know what He wants from you. You know you've got to study. You know you have to set a time. And you know that you have to do it consistently. Any job that you do, if you're going to be good at the job, you've got to consistently do that job and if it requires study, you have to study. You have to keep up to date on what's happening. So number five then, it takes the desire to do it. You have to have, you have to want to do it. You have to set your mind to do it. If you're going to work for somebody and you want to get paid, then you've got to have the desire to go to that job. If you don't want to be there, you won't go. You won't learn the job. You won't, you won't do the job the way you want to. So you have to want to do it. So it takes a desire. It takes a desire to study. James 1, verse 20. For the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. So, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So, that's the heart of people. Wherefore, verse 21, lay apart all filthiness and superstity of the naughtiness and receive the meekness of, and the grafting word which is able to save your soul. So, you want to study because it will save you. You will have eternal life 
only if you know what's going on and you keep up to it. Verse 22, but be you doers. You understand? God inspired James to, uh, to write to be a doer, to get out and put out the effort, to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, receiving, uh, deceiving your own selves. So here he's saying, if you've got a job and you're supposed to be there and you don't show up, you get fired. I mean, that's just a standard practice. Here, God says, you can't just be one that comes to Sabbath services, one that maybe takes the Bible up once a month or once a week or once a year. You know, so much of the Christianity today, um, their Christianity is two times a year, Christmas and Easter. Well, we don't have that. We have to be consistent doing God's Word. So you can't just say, I hear what somebody else says. And it's easy. It's easy for me to tell you what I study. And you can hear that. But it won't do you the value if you don't do it. So you have to be a doer. You have to get out and put forth effort and energy and not a hearer only. So when you've got Sabbath services, you take notes. That's good. If you take and take and go home and you study the, a sermon for me, well, basically the way I see a sermon is it's a starting point. I hear what Daryl says, then I have to go home and say, can I teach that to somebody else? Can I help someone else know what Daryl said? And is it just Daryl's words or is it God's word? And the only way I know that it's God's word is that I dig it out myself. So I take the idea that I can't just be a hero only. It takes a desire for me. I have to desire to go home and find out is what Daryl said the truth? Is it God's word? Do I, am I receiving what God is saying. For if, verse 23, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man that beholds his natural face in a glass. For when he beholds himself and goes away and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. So you go to Sabbath services, you hear the sermon. And you go home, and you've got all the sort of things to do. You've got a lot of things to do at home. Do you forget, or do you apply it? So, you hear things. It's just like studying the Bible. You hear, you need to study the Bible. You can say, that's great. I really understand. I need to study the Bible. Well, I will tomorrow, maybe, or the next day. I've got all these other things to do. I know I sat there many years ago and I thought, God gives me 24 hours. It's going to take me 8 hours to sleep. It takes me 8 hours to work. 2 hours to work and 2 hours home. It doesn't leave much time. And I've got family. One child, two child, two children, four, five, finally eight children. And I've got to spend time with them. 
How much time do I spend with God? So I can say I hear these things. And I've heard many sermons that used to chastise men for not spending the time with their family and not spending time with God. And so I thought, how much time do I have? So it becomes a time when I have to decide for myself whether I'm going to study, like it said earlier, like I said earlier, I have to, con- I have to decide that I need to study. And I need to study consistently. I can't do it on a haphazard process. So I can't look at myself and shave and walk away and think how great I am. I've seen that many times with people. They think, I'm really great. I've seen them in Sabbath service think, I am great. I should be a deacon. I should be an elder. But when they go home, they don't perform what they read as the directions and how to be an elder. That's in the scriptures. Uh, Timothy and Titus explain exactly how to be an elder, how to be a deacon. And you're offered... Christ says in Revelation 5, uh, you're to be kings and priests. That means you're going to have to be in the leadership in the government of God. And you can't be in the leadership in the government of God if you only see yourself as, I'm going to be a leader, but you go off and the rest of your next six days of your life, you don't practice that. So, Here it says, you can't see who you are, shave or whatever you do, comb your hair. Uh, You can't look at yourself in the mirror and forget who you are. You're a human being and you need to stay. You want to be the bride of Christ. What does he want from you? You want to be a son of God or a daughter of God. What does God want from you? You can hear those things. And you can read them, but if you walk away and don't continue studying it, you will not wind up in the right place. So then, I got six steps in how to study the Bible. You don't have to do them all. They're just steps. You're different. I'm different. I, I study one way, but I use the steps Sometimes not in the same order that I've got them here. Sometimes I do them consistently. I do several things at the same time. But I have seven steps that will help you in your Bible study. The first step is observation. So you take the Bible and you read, what does the passage say? What does this chapter say? What is the topic specifically telling me to do. So I have to sit and observe. I have to read and maybe read it and read it again and sit down and try to examine what is it saying? As I look at it, what am I asked to do? So it's important to read the context. Sometimes people will give you a, a scripture. One verse. And it can be used in many places in different ways. But you have to also know the, what's, the, what's the whole chapter about? What's the context? 
what are we talking about? Uh, I think of the Passover papers. I know most of the church, when they keep the Passover and the things of the Passover, they only go by tradition. But if you would read the context, you find that there are uh, the whole chapter. We'll take chapter 12 of Exodus. Exodus 12 is about the Passover. If you read the whole chapter, it's all about the Passover. But so much of the church will forget that the whole chapter is talking specifically of Passover. And because they take a verse in Leviticus that says on the 15th, they forget that chapter 12 is solely talking about the Passover. And chapter 12 says Passover is the first day of unleavened bread. It has to be. It has to be the first day. Because in chapter 12, talking about the Passover, it says that that you keep unleavened bread up unto the 21st, not through the 21st. So if that is the case, that makes Passover day the most important day. But because Leviticus says the 15th, we hold in the church, for the most part, we hold the 15th of the first month as a very important day. It is not a very important day. I'm sorry that they feel that way, but if you follow the context of the chapter, so I just, as, as an observation, Passover day is the most important day, and it says that throughout the whole chapter. Another point, Matthew 4, verse 4. Matthew 4, 4. This is where Christ has fasted for 40 days. He fasted for 40 days. So if we just read that one verse which says, where Satan attacks Christ and says, turn these things. If you're God, you know, he twists things. So if you're God, he tried to pull him aside. If you're God, if you're Christ, if you're the one appointed, you can turn these stones into bread. So what is the whole point of this? It's not whether Christ can make bread out of stones. The point is, who is in charge? Who is qualifying to be the ruler? Satan or Christ? So you have to read everything to understand that. So that, in that, I guess I jumped ahead. Actually, that was, that was point two. I didn't cover it right. Point two is, interpretation. So, first point is you observe what's happening. Point two is you interpreting the scriptures. So, you can't interpret what Christ said in Matthew uh, 4.4. You can't interpret that as uh, having food because you're hungry because you've gone 40 days without eating. So, 
you know you're going to die pretty quick unless you have something to eat. So if you're going to die because you don't have something to eat, make this food. It wasn't about physical food. So you're interpreting it one way is because you're going to die, and the other way is what is real life. The big point is you have to let the Bible interpret the Bible. You can let men tell you, and there's a lot of people out there who can tell you all kinds of things about the Bible, but you can't, you have to. You have to. It is a must to let the Bible be the interpreter of the Bible. The third point is personal preference. When you are studying any subject written, write it out in, in the verse yourself. If you're going to study it, find out what the Bible says. The Bible Correspondence Course by Ambassador College, when I came in, they had a big course. They encouraged people to write every verse out. I'm a person that hates to write. My wife wrote everything out. And you know, as I look back on, on Charlotte's life, she knew most of the scriptures pretty good because she wrote them down. So you handwrite and it, it embeds that into your head. You finally realize, this is what it says. So she wrote every scripture down. And the Ambassador College Bible Correspondence Course encouraged that. And that's why it was such a good course for studying the Bible. There's an example there. Again, I go back to 4.4. What is it about? In chapter, in, Christ said to Satan, you don't have to have physical food to continue. He's talking about not physical life, but real life. We know that this life is only temporal. We're only here for a short period of time. God says you've got 70 years. So I've got 15 years on it. Some people don't get that much. But, you know, he said, you don't live by food only. True life, which is what the scriptures are saying and what Christ is saying, is eternal life. You live by what? Every word from God. So the third, uh, the fourth point then, the fourth point. So you, you're going to, to, one, you're going to observe the scriptures. You're going to interpret the scriptures or get the Bible to interpret the scriptures. You're going to write the scriptures out. Each verse. Write it out. Embed it into your mind. Then the next point is asking questions. It says, ask a question of what you read. Ask the questions and then answer it the best way you can. There's a lot of questions you can answer. You know, you never totally understand everything. You, you ask the question and write it down. Example again in three. Why did Satan challenge Christ? There's a question. Going back to that Matthew example. Why did Satan challenge Christ? Ask that question. Write it out. Think about it. Go over it. 
then answer it. Well, one reason for it, he said, you know, change this in the food, because he fasted for 40 days. He tried to be hungry. But to ask any question, more than one question, whatever the scripture is that you're saying, whatever the, the topic or the particular verse or the sermon, uh, when you give your question, when you give your scriptures, ask the question, why? What is it about? What's the answer? How can I come up with an answer to it? If you're doing that, then you're going to begin to think more about the Scriptures. And you're going to know what it is God wants from you. So then you ask these questions. You've already observed it. you interpreted it the best you can. You write it out. You've asked questions. How do you go from there? This is one that I use a lot because it, it helps me go through much of the Bible, and that's cross-references. I have a, a couple of Bible programs on my computer. Uh, BibleSoft, which is very expensive, and then I have eSword, which is a free. But on BibleSoft, if i got a verse up there and I have a difficulty with that verse, I, I don't totally understand it. I can, got a little spot over there, it's, it's cross-reference. I can click on that. It brings the verse up and it breaks it down into several areas. And it's just like Matthew, what, Matthew, Matthew 4, verse 3. I broke that down. I used that as a, as a breakdown. It helps me to go and find out exactly where it was. So it broke it down into um, three or four places. The first was, the tempter came to him. And then it gives me seven more scriptures that I can go to and see when it says the tempter came to him. One was there, or two of them are right there in Job. Job 1 and, and Job 2. God was having a... He called the sons of God together. And Satan was there. And it breaks down. Satan challenged Christ. He challenged Job. When God said, what do you think about Job? Well, you protected him, you know. And, the, and then he said, well, you protected him, you wouldn't leave, let me touch him. So, so there was seven verses, seven places. Uh, Luke, Thessalonians, Revelation, uh, Revelation 2, and then and Revelation 12. The second thing it broke it down to, it says, if you be the Son of God. Satan questioning Christ. Who is the Son of God? I found two scriptural references in Matthew and in Luke. In the third place it says, command these stones to be made bread. And it gives me another number of things. So I like to use the cross references. Because then I can go to those different verses. And I don't just read what the cross reference says. I always go above and below it. Because then I get the same thing I said earlier. I, I, I tried to find exactly what it's talking about. Because sometimes the references that they give to you is not, doesn't mean, it doesn't even fit in it. It's not in the right, it's not put together rightly. So, but the cross references for me 
helps me a lot. And I think it would help everybody. Because it gives you a chance in your study to find exactly what the scriptures are talking about. The sixth point. Um, so cross-references were the fifth point. The sixth point is insight. Insight is such that you, you see things physically, but you don't always see it spiritually. So insight would be that you not only see the physical side or the right here and now things, but you see what the, what the future is, what God is wanting you to know. So you try to get the insight on, on everything that's happening. So you, you have a complete picture. Because sometimes if you just see the first side, you don't see the, what God wants. So you have to sit down and think about that. In Mark 4, verse 11 and 12. Mark 4, 11 and 12. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But unto them uh, that are without all these, these things are done in parables. So Christ himself said, The insight of it is, you can hear a parable. You can hear a story. You can hear somebody make a statement. You can hear it in a sermon or, or, or just in personal conversation with each other. It, as Christ said, he taught in parables because he did not want all the people to understand. But to the disciples, he made known the parables. That was the insight. So now they heard the story of being the kingdom of God, but he gave them the information they needed to know. That, verse 12, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they won't hear and understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. So insight is letting you see but also understand. So it's very important that you you take and utilize this. You take the time and think about it. You ask your Father to help you if you have to. And you have to. You say, God, help me understand. I, I mean, I just don't totally understand. I really want to know. So you ask in prayer to help you see the big picture and understand what he wants from you. Yeah. Number seven, to understand and really study the Bible, you need to meditate on it. You need to sit there, go over it. So you may need to study for ten minutes or an hour, and then you spend hours. Do it as you work, as you play, as you Walk around, you know, we're told back in, in, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, number, you, you get to, especially in Exodus, uh, chapter 20, uh, where it says, when you, you take the laws of God, you think about them, you meditate on them, you talk to your children, and you sit at the table, and you go to bed, and you get up, you keep it, 
always in your mind. So if you're meditating on what you've read, then you're going to apply it in your life. By meditating, it will give you time to analyze and put in perspective what you just studied. You, you go over it in your mind and you try to figure it out. You go back, you've already written down the scriptures. You, you wrote it in your own hand, handwriting. And sometimes then you see a chance to understand deeply exactly what it is. So meditation is a, is a key factor in Bible study. It helps you recall everything that you have studied before. And the eighth point, and like I said, sometimes what I put in, in, in numbers doesn't necessarily mean that's the way I study, because a lot of times I, I, I hear a sermon and I go back home and I'm thinking, well, I'm supposed to build a temple. Well, I heard that. Where did I hear that? So I might go to the aspect where I draw back on cross-references. I can look in my Bible, my Bible soft program, and say I write down, build a temple. And I go through all the scriptures there. And I study about it. And I go back and analyze it. I, I evaluate it. So it just depends who I am and who you are. So your ways to study. So the eighth point was personal application. Personal application means do I how will it fit my life? How how does it work with me as a person? I ask the questions. How does it affect my relationship with God? My personal application. How is this sermon, how does this um uh, Bible study, how does this scripture, this chapter, how does it affect my relationship with God? And there's, there's good points and bad points. Things that tell you ways that will help you and ways that won't help you. How does this affect my relationship with other people? You know, Christ said, you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And if I read something in there, is that going to affect how I love somebody else? And who is my neighbor anyway? Well, there's a scripture that tells you who's your neighbor. Another question I ask, how does it affect me personally? What kind of a person do I come out to be? When I study the scriptures and I can ask these questions of myself, you don't have to ask them each time, or all of them. But you have to think about them. And the next one would be, how does it affect my responsibility, my response to Satan? That's a key factor for us as an individual in our lives. How does this going to affect me with my relationship with Satan? I don't want to be with Satan, period. I don't want to have any kind of relationship at all with him. But if if I don't utilize the scriptures properly, will I be 
sort of drugged toward that direction? We're human. Satan can... He's very, very in, uh, able to sway you. He knows all the tricks of the trade. He can... He can throw things at you and you won't really know it if you're not really studying the Scripture every day, all the time, consistently. Do I apply the Scriptures in my life? God will bless my efforts by conforming to His image or to the image of Christ. So, I can ask these questions. You need to ask the question. If you're going to study the Scriptures, and, and they're important. And how do you study? You can use all those eight, or you can use none of those eight. But study the Scriptures. At least here I've given you some ideas on studying. And how you can take and make your study more effective. We're different. You studied, some of you read better than me. Some of you might not read as much as me. But it's not who you are and who I am in relationship to you. It's who I am in relationship and who you are in relationship to God. I can't do things like you do. You don't do things like I do, which is good. But if you're going to study the Bible, you need to take the steps and follow them in some way or another. You know, hopefully you wrote them, wrote, written them. Hopefully you wrote them down. See, I don't even know good English. Hopefully you wrote them down and have something that you can go back to when you get out your Bible and you're consistently doing it and you do it every day and you really really want to be part of the bride of Christ, then you're going to put forth the effort because that's what's important. There's a lot of other things. I wrote a list, I just didn't put it down on here, of things that can help you study. Uh, you heard Daryl speak two weeks ago and talk about 26 translations. I have one of them. 26 different people interpreted a scripture in a, in a little bit different way. That's only 26. There's probably 50 or more different different interpretations. I know one that wasn't on there is uh, Everett Fox did the translation of the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses. And his interpretation somewhat different than others. I have in my library the Septuagint Bible, which is Probably the oldest uh, interpretation of the scriptures. I have Bible encyclopedias. My Bible program has a number of, of uh, encyclopedias. There's commentaries. There's Vine's uh, dictionary and Strong's dictionary in which they will take a word. Say you come across a word, you really want to know what's about it. You can go with one of those two. And they'll give you the word. They'll give you the way it's translated from the Greek or the Hebrew. And they'll give you probably five or six different ways it could be used. So when you get a word you don't understand it, you can go to that. 
And you might find out that some places that they use a, a, a what that word means in a different way and, and they have other words that would make it sound a little bit better. Then there's Haley's Bible Handbook, which goes there and it goes through and explains how Haley thought the Bible was written and how it meant a lot of things to him. In Maeve's Topical Bible. That's a good one. Maeve's Topical Bible, and I've got another one which is uh, Where to Find It in the Bible. Both of those two, if you take that, and you have a, a subject you want to know about, you can go through there and they will tell you certain scriptures that cover that which what they find. And then you go and go Bible references after that. And Bible dictionaries. The thing about it is, you don't rely totally on all those things. You still rely mainly on the Bible. Mainly on the King James, because that's the best that they feel, other than uh, the Septuagint. So, with those commentaries, with those, these added helps, they work. But don't rely on commentaries and paraphrases, because they're paraphrased Bibles. You, you, you take it, and they're good for added information, but you still need to study the Bible. Because let the Bible interpret the Bible. That's the best way to do so, between study, study to show yourself approved to the Father. I give you three three steps to end with. Three steps to end with, and it's just to go back kind of over the, uh, the other eight steps. One is observation. What is the passion passage where the Bible have to say? Interpretation. How does this study help me? with my relationship with God in the church, interpretation. And three, apply. Application. Apply it to your life. Apply it to the church. Apply it to all things that you do. What will I do about what I have studied in the Bible? So it's up to you. You can take these points. You're going to use them different than I do. You're going to use them different than Daryl does. But I can guarantee you that anybody that's doing sermons are doing a lot of studying. Sometimes we do. For me, it's weeks. Sometimes I can do it in one week. Sometimes it takes months. But it takes a lifetime. What we have for us is the opportunity to be a part of the family of God. It's important that you know what God wants from you. The only way you're going to know what you God wants from you, you want to know whether you're doing it right or wrong, is to study the Bible. So, I'm just encouraging you to, to do the study. I'm encouraging you to do it every day. At a set time. Because it, it's like going to high school or elementary school or college. You have... You have days set aside, you have times set aside, and you have a place set aside. And if you, if you, if you try to sneak by and try not to do it, then you're only going to lose out. You're only hurting yourself. 
That's all I do. So I'm encouraging you to take your Bible and to study it. And whatever it takes, study the Bible. You have an opportunity to have eternal life, not just this physical life, which is only temporary, but for for all of us. We don't really know exactly what eternal life is like. I question that myself. What are we going to do for eternity? I'm used to working. Am I going to work? Well, I guess so, because Christ said, I work and my Father works. So I guess we're going to work somehow and do some things. It'd be nice to really have a little picture, but I don't guess I'm going to get that picture. But the Bible at least encourages us to be a part of the bride of Christ. So, it's up to you. You study your way and and use the points. Any of these points that will help you study to know to know God and to know Christ.